Eanes is proud to present the Eanes Independent School District Speaker Series. This week, Claire Flynn and Jeannie Flynn Buckley from For Kids Sake will speak about no more threats and bribes. I'm Claire Flynn. So glad to be here. This is my daughter, Jenny. Um, obviously, she's all grown up, and she's my guinea pig. So when we talk about examples, poor Jenny was growing up. You know, we've been in Austin now 30 years. She was in fourth grade when we moved here, and I would go and do workshops and talk about her her experiences and her brother's experiences. And finally, when she got to high school, some... <laughs> workshop I was talking about the consequences of wanting to wear your bikini uh, when it's you know 25 degrees outside and um, uh, you know it was a really great story and we'll tell it to you shortly but at any rate she went to high school that day and my kids went through Ian's and <coughs> freshman came up to her and said my mom went to your mom's workshop last night and I heard all about your bikini and she came home and she went mother so, so I always check now before I talk about any stories of how we learn this stuff Stacy's right. What, what's happened, um, I've been doing this now almost 50 years, what's happened in this transformative time is brain research. And so what you knew, what your parents knew and did with you as you were growing up, we, we have changed it dramatically because now we can actually see the brain, we can see things happen in the brain. And so we've transformed from an era where, uh, you've talked to my mother-in-law, and she believes this to her toenails, uh, you must threaten children, you must scare them, you must intimidate them, they should fear you. For you to be taken seriously as an adult, they need to know you mean it the first time or you will hurt them. And so, you know, we go, and she's a lovely lady. I mean, if you met her, you would think, oh, she just has, she's just lovely. Until she gets angry. And so, do you want to do the? I'm going to rock as I say this. So, I, I was a recipient lots of times because I'm a spirited child, which we'll also talk about. And so, my grandmother would come in and she'd go, I'm going to snake you bald-headed if you don't you know, insert whatever thing that she needed us to do. So, which was to be highly motivating to be, you know, snatched. So my kids would go home, they'd, they'd spend, she's in Corpus, and they would spend summers, you know, for about a month with all their cousins. And, you know, there's the beach, and they sailed, and it was lovely. But we'd have to detox when they'd walk in the front door. Because there was a lot of if-then, contractual kinds of stuff. If you don't eat your sandwich, you can't go to the movie. And there's a, I mean, all these cousins are such different people, and they would react to that very different ways. And someone just burst into tears, and someone eat the sandwich and throw up, and so, you know, there's all kinds of responses to that. And some didn't care about going to the movie, and so, yeah, I'm eating the sandwich, and, and there was a little power struggle about the whole thing. The bottom line was, is that they felt manipulated, and um, it didn't work. The, that's the bottom line. And so teachers in the late 60s, early 70s started asking, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we spanking? That was a good question. And, and particularly, they're not our children. They're your children. So why are we scaring them and intimidating them and hurting them? And it's not working. Why are we doing that? So, that was, so there was tons of research about the effects of spanking on children. I'm sure you've read some of that kind of stuff. This is every family's decision. But what we learned educationally in educational systems is that it's not motivating to children um, to feel like you're going to scare them. And now we know with brain research that, that fear, anxiety, worry, turns the brain off. So in a learning environment, if you're hoping to promote learning um, and you're scaring the pants off children, and you, how many had a teacher that had a look, you know, the evil eyebrow kind of, I mean, we, it shuts down your brain. You're going to go into fight, flight, or fright, and we can see it happen. 
with some of these imaging techniques. So over the years, if we couldn't spank, we couldn't terrify, you know, we couldn't do these things anymore, because not only were they not effective, they, they actually affected relationships and created resentment, and long-term relationships, you know, often didn't happen, because I have a client who was in my office earlier this week, and he goes back to Houston, but he didn't stay long, and his son, you know, they left Christmas in the middle of Christmas morning, because some blow-up that was around control. They had to do it a certain way, according to the granddad, and they didn't want to do it that way, so then there was a blow-up, and they, they drove back to Austin. It's, it, is, it is not empowering, and it is not relationship-building. So here we are with all this grand brain research. It's not that your parents did it wrong. They did what they knew, and that's what was known, I think, in that period of time. But now we can see that if we look down the road of we got young people, and we're, they're going to grow up, I can almost really guarantee if life is going well, they're going to grow up, and they have a granddaughter who's going to graduate from the high school in May. Uh, she's already been accepted to college. Pressure's off. She's excited. But, I mean, we want them to have some skills. Like what? What do you hope that your kids know by the time they're walking out the door? They'll walk back in, by the way, but not, not, not in the same way. So if we want them to be skillful, happy, you know what I mean? Self-reliant, um, confident, all the good stuff. They don't know those things. What is brain-based, meaning wired in, is the developmental stuff. They're wired to walk. You know, most babies sit up at six months, pull up to stand at nine months, walk at 12 months. That's wired in. It's a program. Things are going well. They follow that program. Sometimes things get in the way, and we have to help them follow that program. But that's the developmental piece, that if it's not going according to that plan, why not? We, we start to ask some questions. And if there's a speech delay or a sensory processing or whatever it is, we can fix it. And we just The sooner we know it, the sooner we can fix it. Um, the other stuff is learned. And so self-control is learned. Self-management is learned. Self-awareness is learned. Those are things that they develop over many, many years, over and over. And we didn't do the disc spiral, did we? You said you didn't want to put it in. I know. <laughs> She's linear. I'm emergent. We, we have different styles. So... Those of you that have been to workshops have heard this before, but then we've lived it ourselves that, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have rapid phases of growth. And even as adults, you know, with young children, you can see it, they shoot up to it. Just Robert's got all, all of his pants are high water at this point. It's time to go shopping. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so this is from the Gazelle Institute at Yale. They've researched ages and stages of development over 100 years now. They've done it all over the world, different socioeconomic, they factor in gender, all that kind of stuff. And the bottom line is, is the wired-in program would say that about, you know, and they, they specify just so you'd have a roadmap, although each child is unique, so they're not really going to follow that particular roadmap exactly. But around 18 months, um, they're going to fall apart. It's a regressive phase of growth. They're leaving the infancy phase. They're kind of a waddler or a toddler. They're about to be a two-year-old, which is a whole other ball game. And what's the bridge that you cross to get there? And so a growth spurt helps kind of push them over the bridge, and you get a lot of oppositional behavior. And, you know, we hear it in their language. No! Eventually, I do it myself. And, or they run away from you. There's a physical no. Um, there's all kinds of ways that their brain is reformatting. And so the high notes in terms of what you can anticipate, and this is typical development, but not most kids have their own version, um, they're going to fall apart at 18 months, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. Five and a half is big, and mostly this is kindergarten, because they're, they're about to leave. We, we develop from the back of the brain forward, so gross motor, social-emotional, 
finally we're kind of rounding the corner to the frontal lobe where we can actually think a bit more abstractly. So numbers and letter sounds associations, all that stuff makes sense to kids, you know, after the age of five. But before then, I don't mean kids can't learn it, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning to them because they can't they they can't make it happen themselves. They can't experience it in a, in a concrete way. Um, and so around five and a half and six, you know, what we're going to have in terms of behaviors as they cross the line into abstract thinking, lying. Cheating and stealing. I can guarantee it. I, I know you've loved your child and you've parented them well and you've given them good values. They have to do this work. And they have to do it experientially so they don't keep doing it. Did anybody lie when you were growing up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like lately. <laughs> anybody steal anything? I mean, you know, when you ask, pretty much it's universal, kind of like did you crawl and did you stand up and you know walk? And so they now can start to think right and wrong. When they're little, if you catch them, and you, know, you give them that look like, I can't let you play in the potty, um, you know, they, they get that they're not supposed to do it, but they're doing it until you catch them because you are their conscience. And even though they've had a psychological birth around two and a half, and you hear it in their language, I do it. It's mine. No, I can think differently than you. I'm a me, and you're a you. So it's really elegant when we look at what we used to call misbehavior, naughty behavior, willful behavior. Now we're looking at it as developmental and important. They must do this work. And if they don't do it then, they may do it later. And it's really uncomfortable to watch an 18-year-old developing, for the first time maybe, a sense of identity. We want this to happen much sooner and then practice who are you today. Because every day is you know, kind of a, di a different story. And some years are good years and some years are not. I have a granddaughter who's in fourth grade and it's not. She's having, she's been the, the wonder child. Of, she's kind and she's loving and she's smart. And she's just, she's a good friend and all kinds of good things. And this year she's having a horrible year. And you know, when you know this stuff, <clears throat> I said to her last August, we were on vacation, I said, Jack, I hope that you at some point have a really bad year. And she looked at me like I was a little crazy because she had nothing but good years. And, and I said, well, I mean, if things are always easy for you, how do you learn to survive struggling? So that when you go off to college and your boyfriend breaks your heart, you can handle it. You can do hard things. And she looked at me with the eye roll of, you know, fourth grader. She's having a dreadful year with friends. She's having a dreadful year with a teacher fit. Uh, you know, what her parents are not doing, and I'm so appreciative, is they're not having her change teachers or change classrooms or change schools. or No, let her learn to deal with it. And it's tough. She's having a tough year. Um, she'll get over it. She'll survive it. Development guarantees that some of this will be put to bed and they're going to grow up the next step and move on. And then the next phase of development will be pretty expensive and pretty wonderful and you'll scratch your head and think we, we must have been overreacting you know we must have I mean look how how fantastic they are no no it was real it was hard and and they can do hard things and if there's a mantra that I want kids um, to know when they go off to college you can do hard things and it's if you can say that to yourself, then you're a survivor. And resiliency is wired into you. You've wired it in through experience and through parents who didn't rescue you too soon. You know, that's isn't that hard to do? It's hard to watch our kids suffer. I think it's the hardest thing we do, honestly, as parents, is watch them go into a situation that's... You know, my granddaughter, who's the senior, has got her heart broken over the holidays. And she heard from all the friends that he'd gone out with somebody else. And <clears throat> I took her to Starbucks. And so we can... You know, this can go several ways, and you choose. But we could do the ranting and the raving and the rejected female, and and and, and kind of validate that women can't control their emotions, and that you know we we can't be trusted with 
hard things. Or you could say to him, I, I've heard from other people that this has happened. I'd like to hear your version of the story. And um, and then, you know, from there, do you want to be treated that way? Because I don't. So if you're going to treat me that way, uh, then we can't be friends any further and we won't be dating anymore. But do it with kindness, you know, if you care about this person. So she, she, she did all that stuff. She came back and she had this big old grin on her face and she said, you know, I was really thoughtful. And I said to him, I, will, I do care about you and I really want to continue to know you, but I will never be treated that way again. He's sobbing as he should be. <laughs> Good. He's going to do something hard. So you can see the ebb and the flow and the ebb and the flow. Midlife, we call it midlife crisis. I don't actually think it's a crisis. It's another opportunity to reinvent ourselves. Isn't that cool? Who am I now? We do this our whole lives. Look at elders. I'm really in that category, but I'm pretending like I'm not. <laughs> you know, who am I now? Second childhood. It's fantastic. And so when we look at where the behavior is going to surface, it's going to be in those disequilibrium years where they're a little off balance developmentally. They're reinventing themselves. I'm going to make my first million by, we're going to invent some hat that kids can just put on their head and have scaffolding on it. You know, you drive by all these construction sites and under construction. Wouldn't that be great? Not just for kids. And then everybody knows, okay, so, you know, this person's, they're developing. They are a new identity. They are a new, it's an opportunity. And what comes along with opportunity is stuff wrapped up in the ugliest packaging you've ever seen. Somebody breaks your heart. Somebody won't be your friend. You know, your Girl Scout troop, because you, you missed the cookie meeting, they're all mad at you. Well, you were sick, so it wasn't willful. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't naughty. It was, you didn't want to give them the flu. That was pretty courageous. And so a lot of this, so we teach kids to second to challenge some of these behaviors that others are giving back to us. Are they just having a bad day? Because I did not do anything wrong by staying home because I had the flu. And they may be mad at me for whatever reason that they need to do that, but I don't have to own that because it has nothing to do with me. That's their stuff, you know. And so we teach kids to, to separate themselves out from others and from you, by the way. Bedtime, going to school, all those are practice separations. So this is good work for children to do. The reason we're here talking about consequences is because much of this work com that comes out in a growth spurt is testing behavior. So, you know, do I really, can I really not throw my food? Because I knew that when I was four, and now that I'm six, is that still true? And so they test. And if we, and so you hear this word all the time, you, the consistency thing. Um, yeah, it's still not true. And then what happens if you do throw your food? Because in the olden days, we would have spanked you or taken away dinner or who knows what. Um, <clears throat> I just got sent to my room. I logged a lot of hours in my room growing up. Nobody was in there, though. I kept looking for the magic wand. I kept looking for some guidance. And then I'd come out, and <clears throat> my parents are really good about moving on, but nobody decoded for me what just happened and what I might do differently the next time so it didn't happen again. So it kept happening. I kept logging time in my room. <laughs> time out, I think, is better than spanking, honestly. It's less offensive. It's, I mean, it's less hurtful. It's less intimidating. But there's got to be a decoder ring. So my second million is going to come from the decoder ring that we're going to manufacture somehow. <laughs> For those of you that are my generation, they used to have them in cereal boxes, you know, the secret spy decoder ring kind of thing. And as a parent, the ring would have an audio bubble that would say, what's the behavior trying to tell you? What are they needing to know? They don't know it, clearly. They're having a tantrum. What skill are they missing that we can teach so that when they leave, they don't think that throwing themselves on the floor is going to get them anything other than, you know, people looking at them oddly. 
picture of Robert up here, and I'm not going to use the microphone unless you think that I need to, because I'm an old teacher and so I can project, but I will anyway. This is Robert. This is my three-year-old, <clears throat> and we grow... He's got his meals. He does. Um, we grow lots of vegetables in our backyard, and so after the, you know, harvest of whatever we had harvested, the vegetable, you know, bed was empty, and so I walked outside um, to get something, and there's Robert who's taken it upon himself to move not one, not two, but like 17 trucks into the garden bed because it's a pile of dirt and what do you do with trucks you dig in a pile of dirt and so I took this picture and the best part about this picture for Robert is it's that question of you know now that we're a new version we're not our own, we weren't not we're not our parents right anymore we decided who we're going to be as our own parents we're changing the way that they did things a little bit and so I'm looking at my son who by the way has the evil eyebrow going on where it's the one eyebrow is inherited my kids both have it. My husband's horrified. It's great. Um, because all three of us will look at him and go simultaneously. But I was looking at him and I was like, you know, when I look at this, I go, how smart is he? Right? It's a pile of dirt. Why wouldn't you put trucks in it? Right? My husband and I come from very different parenting backgrounds. Our family was more democratic where, um, you know, there was lots of natural consequences, which we'll talk about, logical consequences, which we'll talk about. And my husband's family was more authoritarian. And so his dad ruled by fear and intimidation and things like that. And so it's been really interesting, you know, I think one of the hardest jobs as a parent now is to kind of merge your style with that of your significant other because um, you guys have different native tongues. And so it was interesting because I, you know, I showed my husband this picture and I said, initial thought, and he was like, what the heck is he doing in the garden? And I said, it, I said, my initial thought was how creative is he? And so I asked him, I said, you know, we're doing this workshop, and I said, what does well-behaved look like to you? And he goes, that's a really hard question. And I said, it is a really hard question. I said, but think about it. I said, you know, when you think about our kids, because we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, we're in it now, right? You know, when we were pregnant and expecting babies, we had an idea of the people that we wanted to grow, and now that they're here, life is full, right? And so it's one of those moments where I was like, let's kind of get back on the same page and make sure that we have our roadmap. What are the life skills that we want to help grow and create in our kids? What are the skills that we know they're going to need when they leave our house? And how we doing? Because, you know, we're kind of on that road a little bit. And he goes... I think our kids are pretty well behaved. And I said, why? And he goes, we were at my uncle's house this summer and they were asking questions and they were polite and they were listening, they weren't interrupting. He was like, but at the same time, they were still being kids. They were playing with their toys downstairs, they had their own space, so they were respecting other people's boundaries and things like that. And I was like, I'm gonna ask you for more input more often, that was really insightful. Um, so they're really, you know, I think it's one of those practices that we need to make sure we put on our schedule. You you know, whether it's a weekly date or whether it's a monthly date where we kind of just sit down with our significant other and we recalibrate how we doing at this whole parenting thing, right? What are our end goals? On my list, you know, when I look at the long road for my boys, I want to make sure that they're empathetic and kind, but they also have a strong sense of self. For Robert, he's more cautious, so I want to make sure that he's not afraid to be assertive. For Riley, he's spirited. I want to make sure he knows not to be overly spirited and overly assertive, right? So throttling him back a little bit. Um, but I do think it, it begs the question, now that we're this newer generation of parents and we don't have, we've got more skills, we've got more knowledge as far as how the brain works, what does well-behaved look like? What do we expect from our kids. And what we've discovered is a whole lot of learning comes from mistakes. I had a sweet little client who's in seventh grade. I was talking with her mom this morning and we were talking about she's made a big mistake with Googling things. And um, we were talking about this morning and I said, this is not the first mistake she's going to make. She's going into, you know, high school next year. So, um, or the year after. I said, so, but the plan going forward is how did this mistake get handled? 
what worked, what didn't, and then what's the plan for next time? Because that's what we figured out, is that there's a great way that we can help kids learn naturally, right? If they don't brush their teeth, we know they will get cavities. They don't know this. We can tell them to a blue in the face, but at some point, we have to kind of pass that baton. When they have the skill of brushing their teeth, when the dentist has showed them, and we've showed them, and you know, grandparents have showed them, at some point, we have to say, I'm going to kind of let you figure this one out. And you can choose. You have the power to brush your teeth or to not brush your teeth. But if you make the choice not to, then you're going to have to pay for the cavity when it pops up, right? They're horrified by this. Right. You go to the dentist and you'd have to pay for the cavity, right? <laughs> so I don't mean all of it necessarily, depending on the age of the child. But, you know, they list prices on most websites these days. You kind of know what you're signing up for. And so if that's what's happening in the real world, um, and this is a more logical consequence, we've kind of engineered it a little bit. Let me do the natural ones first, and we'll come back to the logical. The, the, I think the logical are harder, honestly. What happens to you if you don't eat? Yeah. How do you know you're hungry? Cranky. I get a headache. Hangry is what scientists are calling this now, which I just love. I feel real validated. Because if I don't eat, then I'm going to get real cranky. And and I, for for many years, I just thought, well, I just I just can't control myself. You know, like I just have a bad temper and I'm not good at controlling it. Oh, I've got a new word. Hunger emotional is another one. Too. Oh yeah. I totally stole that from a 17 year old last week. Because <laughs> she gets emotional when she gets hungry. So do I. I don't yes. Get, I don't get mad. I burst into tears. So yeah. emotional. Yes. And your feet get hot. Yes. And so <laughs> there's all this decoding, you know, that we put together from kids as they've been a little bitty, and they don't they're watching you, but they can't necessarily watch themselves. They can't zoom out until they're around eight or so, once they're pretty solid in this frontal lobe area. And they can't kind of look down on themselves and say, oh, so my path to hangry, um, or hunger emotional, which I'm crazy about, is first this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then, and then I'm melting down, and, and, then, and then I say things I don't mean, or I do things that I don't really mean, and, and, and then I feel terrible about myself. And so we, we become the decoders for kids. Check your body. We can say this. I said this to Robert last night. He wasn't wanting to eat dinner, and and this he, you know, power struggles are the way children's children. I think they're. I do think power struggles are wired in. It's the way of. Do you mean it? So we had dinner, and he helped serve it, and we sat down. And he had one bite. And he looked at me real hard. He said, "I'm finished now." And you know, my old pattern of what I knew growing up was I, I could I, almost in a flash, you know, like a like a bad dream. You want to image the intimidating <laughs> flash in my head. I threw it out the window because um, we know it doesn't work. And I said, well, check your body. Is your body still hungry? Still thirsty? Because after this, we'll take a bath, and there won't be any more food. So if you get hungry in the bathtub, I guess you'll be hungry. In the morning, you know, you'll have breakfast, but you decide. And that's one of those... Guaranteed, I can. If, if, well, I, that shuts down the power struggles. You're not participating, and so because kids at, at a very young age are going to do more than natural consequences, although they'll, they'll still do them when they're older. What happens if you don't wear sunscreen? It's pretty much a done deal, isn't it? Some of you more than others will just scorch. And so the natural ones are the ones that Mother Nature has wired into some degree environmentally that we don't have to do. I think we may need to enforce it a little bit, but we want to mostly explain it. If you don't wear shoes, I'm worried that your feet will be hot, especially in our summer, or you'll step on something sharp. Oh, I wear my 
questions. And so, well, you're the boss of your body. And we go out, and they step on something sharp, and it's really hard to not go, yeah, you know. <laughs> because the I told you so, you know, is what I experienced growing up. So I have to really edit that one hard. I was, I was afraid that would happen. Um, and let them learn from it, rather than just think you're a jerk or just you're mean, you know. So we don't actually participate too much in the feedback loop. I, you know, the street does have stuff in it, and we don't always go out and sweep it before you go outside. And the new layer is, and what's the plan for next time? What'd you learn, right? You know, I mean, in the moment of them sobbing and, you know, putting ice on their feet or whatever, we're not going to try to have that conversation because they've still, they're still in that limbic system of, of reacting emotionally. But once they're calm, we circle back and we go, that was really hard this morning without shoes what's the plan for tomorrow you know what's what are we going to do do you want to put shoes on in the car do you want to put shoes on in the house we give choices right Robert didn't want to wear shoes this morning um, and I said okay you decide put his shoes in my purse we got in the car he walked across the wet grass and he goes this is yucky and I went it is and we got in the car and drove to school and and I said okay time for shoes because you can't go inside you know Miss Martha needs shoes on your feet to be able to play on the playground and do things in your classroom and he goes okay but there was learning that had to be involved. Grass is squishy, you know, when it's wet in the morning. He did. We had to wipe him off. But there was the plan of, you know, so what's the plan for tomorrow? Because I'm not going to hog tie you and hold you down and put your shoes on, right? I'm just not going to do it. Right? Yeah. Well, and I, I was in a school not too long ago. This little guy had had a, a rash of ear infections. The mom was worried, he's, you know, just coming back to school. The mom really wanted him to wear his coat because it's cold outside. And she says to the teacher, who's fairly young uh, in uh, kindergarten class, please don't let him go outside without his coat. He'll get sick. And so the kindergarten teacher really wants to do the right thing. And so they're actually, they're planning to walk to, a, to the post office. And he drags that coat, he puts it on in front of her. And as soon as she has her back turned, because she's at the front of the line, he's at the back of it, he's that coat's off and he's dragging it through the gutters. And, and she turns around and she sees that the coat is not only not on him now, it's wet. Um, it's a hard position to be in as an adult. You want to make sure that they're well and safe and all those kind of things, but somehow they have to figure this out on her own. Well, they, so she said to him, I'm so sorry your coat is wet, and now I can't let you put it on, and I hope you don't get cold. And then she turned around and kept on walking. On the way back, he got cold. He was shivering. Oh, my God. It's wet, sweetie. I can't let you wear your coat. Next time, what will you do so the coat stays dry? So it takes the anger the blame, you know, the criticism, the shame, it, out of the equation. That, that, we don't need that stuff. It only just diminishes children anyway. It makes them feel stupid. So then the brain shuts down because they're feeling stupid. So we're actually talking about building skill rather than diminishing children. Did anybody grow up with this? I mean, it's a relatively new kid on the block, so I, that's why I'm asking the question. I certainly did not. My kids, you know, who helped me grow it. <laughs> Can I tell you a bikini story? Sure. <laughs> She's recording this. I'm just going to remind you of that. <laughs> so not all the gory details. <laughs> so when Jenny was about two and a half, and you know, when we look at the spiral, we know this is a prime age for unraveling first, where you lose skill, it looks like briefly. Your language may deteriorate a little bit, and then next week you'll have about a million new words. That's true of Robert right now. He's got, his language has blossomed. Um, but so she's two and a half, and we're getting ready to go to school. And the night before, unfortunately, I discovered the summer clothes. It's February, and I'm thinking, what still fits? And so I pull out the box, and she finds last summer's bikini and jellies, and she puts them on, which so don't fit. I mean, she's just busting out of all of them. And she says, I'm going to wear this to school tomorrow. And I'm head of school. So 
and we're learning consequences. This is back when it was brand new, really. And, and my whole staff and I are just trying to sort of, what do you, what are the replacement strategies for, no, you're not, you know, I will, you are so not wearing, that, that kind of belligerence that seemed to intimidate children but didn't really teach them skill. We just may have looked powerful for about five minutes. And so I said, well, let's go out on the front porch and see what your body says. So it's about 40 degrees outside. We go out on the front porch and, you know, she's barely clad. I'm telling you, she's busting out all over and um, she starts to shake and her nose starts to run and her lips turn blue and teeth start to chatter and I've got a mirror and I said, so check your body. I think those blue lips are your body's way of telling you that you're cold. Oh, my God. <laughs> she can hardly speak. We, you know, we looked at the knees that were knocking. We looked at the model skin. I mean, there's about a million things that your body will say to you if we teach kids to decode all that kind of stuff. The bottom line, after much discussion of what is your body trying to say to you, is she loved the bikini and she was wearing it to school tomorrow. And so I'm starting to feel a little discouraged at this point, like this stuff doesn't work. Um, so I said, well, let's sleep on it. Well, you know, we'll see how cold it is tomorrow morning. So she goes to bed. And the next morning, we get up. And she was completely dressed in her bikini, and her like her feet are squishing all the jellies, and and I thought to myself, I'll never dress you again. I had no idea you were so skillful, you know, because I was still thinking she needed help. Um, so that was my first takeaway. But the second one was, she, I said, well, let's go out again and check your body and let's see how cold it is today. And you know, same thing. We went down the whole litany of all the, you know, <laughs> the body clues that you're going to freeze. And she wasn't buying any of it. And so I said, well, just in case, let's just put some sweats in your backpack and we change your mind when we get to school. And on the drive to school, I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to walk into this school with a child in a bikini and jellies that are like, they're not fitting. And all the parents are trusting me with their children during the day, you know, and they're going to look at me like, oh, you must be insane. We are pulling our children out. I mean, I'm really... <laughs> trying to figure out how can I stay neutral. And so we get to school and she walks in and thank God her teacher Sue, you know, who's this very tall woman, kind of folds down to sit and says, you dressed yourself this morning. I'm like, this, thank goodness, I'm off the hook. They don't think that I thought this was a good idea. And so, you know, she, they go out, she goes off to her class and the first thing they do in her classroom, the first thing of their routine is they go outside and play. And this was the era of metal slides and metal merry-go-rounds and metal everything and a big picture window. And so they're out on the playground and I'm on the other side of the picture window and Jenny barely gets to the slide before she's just, you know, just falling apart and her nose is running and she bursts into tears. She puts her first foot on the step and she's crying hard and Sue comes up and says, looks like there's a problem. She says, I can see. How did you know you were cold? And <laughs> instant replay. She didn't hear all those, those things. And Sue said, well, what do you think we should do? I mean, being cold is hard. And Jenny said, I've got some, I've got some sweats. And Okay, well, do you need help or can you go back in and put them on yourself? So she goes back in the classroom. She puts you know, the sweatshirt and sweats on. And then life goes on. And, and I have to say, the, you know, the devil kind of made an appearance shortly on my shoulder that wanted to say, see, I told you so. But, you know, we, we can't. if I give voice to that when I pick her up, it'll be all about that. I told you so. You're an idiot. Then about what she learned. So I'm coaching myself. You know, I've got my duct tape, my visual duct tape, and I go to pick her up, and, and she's got different clothes on. I said, wow, it looks like you changed your mind this morning. She said, I got cold. How did you know? She goes through the hole. You know, my, my body was shaking. She even used the word modeled skin. Uh, it was impressive. And so I said, well, I'm glad you are the boss of your body. And truly, you fast forward. I mean, that was the end of that story. I never had to coach clothes after that. She checked the weather channel. <laughs> in the morning and you know whatever the temperature was going to be she would dress accordingly 
it was pretty impressive. So that part's done. You know, check life skill. Can you dress appropriately for the weather? And then my, my role shifts from having to tell you the decoding process and how well you're dressing yourself to just sitting back in admiration and saying, remember when you were little and you didn't know? And then you had that hard day where you figured out what you needed to wear is, you know, to be comfortable for you. And there you are. You did it. That's all. There's no good job. No, good job's not going to hurt anybody. But here's the, here's the hard part about praise. Because when I was trained to be a teacher, we got handouts, you know, those little mimeograph things that would say 365 ways to say good for you, which was better than spanking. But, but on the road of learning, what we've learned is that when we say to a child, good job, it creates anxiety because we can just as easily which means we're, in the, we're the judge and the jury. They don't really know how they're doing. We're the ones that are the final voice in this whole thing. So we, I don't want to be the judge and the jury. I don't think it's, is this okay? Did I do it right? I you know, that creates anxiety for children. So instead we take the back seat and we say, look how well you know what you need. You don't have to have anything to do with me. You are a competent, growing up well human being. So the natural ones, I think, oh, we do our whole lives really, but they're wired in to some degree if we have coaches on the sidelines to help us decode. That they're going to figure out whether to wear shoes or not, or whether to wear a coat or not, or whether to eat or not. We just have to not rush in with too much fix-it, and this is the hard part, um, too soon. Because it really does take the rug out from underneath the learning that they're experiencing. The next morning they're often highly motivated to eat. I met Robert was... Ravenous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good for you. You checked your body, your tummy's rumbling, you feel cranky, you're ready for breakfast. What should we have this morning that helps your body grow? Because he's a donut freak. I mean, <laughs> not just to eat them. He loves the toy donuts, the dog donuts, I mean, whatever. He, he loves donuts. Um, and so that, so the litany with Robert has been, we will. But first, we have to eat the food that helps your body grow. And so he can re- re- retreat, you know, that, that's his chapter and verse. So the natural ones are a little easier for us to engineer because it's kind of engineered by Mother Nature. You know, we, I can't create a sunburn, but she, you know, she can create skin that burns easily. Um, we just have to be the one, the kind of like Monday night commentator on the sidelines. Ruthie, is a, my, my niece Ruthie lives here in town. She's a personal trainer and a, a sort of extraordinary athlete. Um, and when she was 13, and she's fair. Her mother's from Australia. She's blonde, 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 very fair skin. And um, my brother has always been highly anxious about skin cancer with her because her mom has had some experience with it. She, she, her mom played tennis. Um, and so Ruthie's here with us in Austin, and we're going to go to the lake. And I said, Ruthie, our rule is as a family is that when we get in the water, when we get out, we have to reapply. That's just the family rule, and, um, you know, otherwise we're just worried that you're going to get burned. Okay, she said, and there's been numerous, I mean, he was still putting sunblock on her, okay, so so she's 13, and I'm not going to be doing that. So, you know, we're we're on the lake, and it's hot, and she's not putting, she's not reapplying, she's getting redder, like redder, and redder, and redder, and, you know, when we we go in about one, um, she's been on the water for, I don't know, three hours or so, sunblockless, after the first application, and um, it's stinging, and it's starting to hurt. I'm so sorry. I was worried that would happen. Your skin, more than most, has to use sunblock. Um, A rule is if you get burned, you can't go back out on the lake, because it's just going to burn you more. So... We're going to go out on the lake this afternoon, be thinking about what you're going to do while we're on the boat. And not trying to rub her nose in it, but the truth is we put on sunblock so we can go out on the boat because we're safe. And she didn't, and she didn't go out on the lake again the entire week. <laughs> she blistered. 
And so she's heading, she's getting ready to head back home again, and, and she says to me, we won't tell my dad, right, that I didn't put on sunblock. And I said, you know, that's your decision, sweetie. I'm not going to tell him. It was, your, it was your body, your decision. You'll decide if you want him to know. But I think you figured it out. She said, I so figured it out. <laughs> she, it was it was bad. So I love this story because it actually is a little bit of both natural and logical consequences, right? Natural, she got burned, but the logical was, and you've lost the privilege of going back on the boat for the rest of the week, right? And your skin was ready. Yeah, to your skin, which for her was an entire week. So the logical consequences piece is, you know, really we don't start using logical consequences with kids until they can think analytically. So around, you know, kind of five and six on up, um, and these consequences are a little bit harder to kind of engineer because it really, from our perspective, has to be a consequence that kind of matches whatever the issue is, right? So I had a mom in my office and she said, you know, my, t- my go-to is always that, you know, whatever they do, the consequence is always like the iPad goes away. And I said, well, if you don't eat your dinner, you can't have the iPad. Like, how does that connect, right? And then from a child's perspective, you know, because I've got one of those spirit of kids that says, that doesn't make sense to me, right? How, how do those things, how, those don't match. So, you know, with logical consequences, this really is how the world works, right? Our job in the 18 years that we have these kids in our house are to prepare them for how the world works. And so when they can think more abstractly, we start to kind of help them realize that um, that really this is kind of how the world works. So this would be the example of, um, you know, the teeth brushing. That really, the way the world works is, if you don't brush your teeth, you get cavities. And if you get a cavity, somebody's got to pay for it, right? Who doesn't get cavities? <laughs> but everybody else does. So, but... You know, when you're talking about this, con- this this consequence with this, you know, eight-year-old kiddo, because I get a lot of eight-year-old kids that are resisting the whole teeth brushing thing. You know, I'm I'm not going to do it. My parents are hounding me, and I'm just just going to ignore them, and you know, whatever. I tell parents, okay, first of all, if they're resisting you, are they ready for more independence? Right? Power struggles when kids resist are oftentimes a sign that they're ready for more independence. So if they're resisting getting dressed, make them in charge of it. Right? If they're resisting getting themselves ready for school, we sit down and we go, okay, so what do you need to do to get ready for school in the morning? And we, they tell us, right? I have to brush my teeth. I have to get my clothes on. I have to eat breakfast. I have to pack my backpack. Great. And, you know, from where I sit, I don't really care what order this stuff gets done in as long as it gets done because it's all stuff that needs to happen. So before Riley started kindergarten last fall, in about July, we started practicing getting ready for kindergarten because it was the shift of, you know, rolling into preschool at like 9.30 in the morning to like streaking to Bridgepoint to be there at 7.30. So it was a big shift in our family. And so we started having the conversation around, it's going to be earlier, you're going to go into bed earlier, you're going to be more tired, so what's your morning routine going to look like? And he said, well, I want to get up and I want to have breakfast and then I want to get my clothes on and then, you know, get my backpack and go out the door. And I was like, great. So we took pictures of him doing everything. He chose that he wanted to put it on the front door to kind of remind himself. The lovely thing about passing the baton on something like this is we get to say to kids, where are you on your morning routine? As opposed to, have you brushed your teeth? Are your shoes on? Are you dressed? It's, it cuts the nagging out of it, right? Thank you for yeah. So anyway, we tried this for a week. Went pretty well. He changed the order of things the next week because I sat down with him and said, so how's it going with your morning routine? Do you like the way that it flows? And he said, you know... 
I'm rushed to get ready for school to get my clothes on. And I said, I've noticed that too. You know, nobody else in our house is awake that early. So Riley and I will sit at the breakfast table and just kind of chat. It's kind of our talking time. And I said, I love our talking time. I said, my worry is if you're not dressed and we have lots of talking time, it really makes getting clothes time pretty rushed. And he goes, well, what if I got dressed first and then I came and had breakfast? We have more time to talk. And I was like, let's try it for a week and see how it goes. And that's kind of what he's landed on. But we tried it a couple different ways so that he had power and kind of growing his morning routine. He's now a first grader. He rocks his morning routine. And he's also spirited, so he did test the boundary of, like, what happens if I don't get ready for school? And so we had one of those awful drop-offs where we learned that everything can happen in the car, right? Breakfast can happen in the car. Getting dressed can happen in the car. <laughs> shoes can happen in the car. And so as we pull up to drop-off line, he's weeping, right? I say to him, this morning was really hard. And maybe after school today, we can make a plan so that tomorrow's not so hard, right? So, mistakes. So anyway, so... With logical consequences, sometimes we have to kind of engineer it. I can't take you to school. I, even though you're not ready to go, I can't be late. So you're going to have to figure this out and get dressed in the car, right? So that you're not late because you can't affect the rest of the family. Um, and so with... Yeah. And logical, and then I'm going to hand them back to you. To me, the, the difference, if you're in that moment and it's hard to see your way clear, you kind of zoom out and see what's happening here and... What's, what skill are they needing and what behavior, you know, what's it trying to tell us? If it's affecting you or the family, yeah. then it's probably need a logical consequence. I'm unwilling to be late, so I guess you'll be going to school in your pajamas. You call the school in the meantime and say, we're on our way. Um, he's in his pajamas. Most principals I know have a dressing spot in their corner. It's completely neutral. Principals have things to do. They're not... Good job. No, no. They, they got stuff to do. And they're saying, oh, I think your class is going out for recess here shortly. I mean, it's a pretty uninvolved process. And, and when there's no emotional uh, drama around that, you know, um, I, the, the longest I've ever known a child to stay getting dressed in a principal's office was about 30 minutes or so. There's no feedback loop. The principals have other work to do. And they find, this is boring, so I'm going to get my clothes on. And, oh, good, you got your school clothes on. Head on out. I think your class is in the library. Um, and so, you know, you... You're in charge of your own self. But if you're affecting others, that's, to me, that's how I can kind of discern the difference. The logical piece, yeah. So a lot of times power struggles can kind of indicate the kids are ready for more independence. Um, and then um, with, you know, the, the logical consequence piece, they kind of help us grow it. So we say to him, look, you know, at eight years old, if you're not going to brush your teeth, you know, what I know is if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get cavities. And so it's a choice. I know you have the skill. You're choosing not to do it. And so ultimately, I, you know, if you're choosing not to brush your teeth and you get a cavity when you go see Dr. Johnson, then you're going to have to help pay for the cavity. Which freaks them out. But I don't have any money. Well, be thinking about ways that you can earn money, right? But logical consequences, as much as we possibly can, are done in advance. So kids don't get surprised. Because it's often when they feel that a consequence doesn't match um, a problem, or if they feel like, you know, we've pulled it out of our back pocket because we were put on the spot, um, that it's unfair. And so there's resistance. And so me as a parent, I'm not afraid to say to my kids, I'm going to have to think about this one because I don't want to just get mad and tell you to stop it. So I'm going to have to think about what a logical consequence would be for this because I can't right now think of it because I'm frustrated. So call, letting them know that their behavior is affected ours as well. Um, but then ultimately they know what the consequence is. And so if they choose to engage in the behavior, we're just the enforcers, 
right? And so this is the beginnings of logical consequences with younger kids. And then with older kids, and really, you know, I mean, you can start, my kids too, um, we start to include kids in helping grow the consequences. Because ultimately, if that long road ahead is self-motivation, self-regulation, um, we want them to be in charge of their, themselves. So that internal sense of right and wrong. And so, you know, what's the, what, is, what seems like a fair consequence, um, you know, if you don't get your, uh, your homework done? You know, what's your plan going to be? We ask them. And with some kids, they'll actually be way harder on themselves than we ever would be, right? I had one little guy in my playroom, and he, he uh, was having a hard time getting his work done at school. He's in kinder. And, um, and the teacher's consequence is you have to either miss recess or you have to take it home. And I encouraged his parents. I was like, ask him what his consequence for himself would be. And this little guy's real hard on himself. And he said, well, if I don't get my work done at school, then I just, I just can't have any play dates for, you know, like two weeks. And his parents got to say... That seems a bit much, right? I mean, and playdates and homework. I mean, homework's the the, the you know problems the basic, and then playdates the privilege. So I get that, but that seems a bit harsh. So sometimes we have to kind of like dial kids back because they'll go way hard. Sometimes we have to make things a little bit more um, in focus. So can I tell the story about my brother? Okay, good. So my my brother was in high school, and he's older than I am, so I get to like be the younger child that kind of brags about this. Um, he is more cautious, and so he tends to be a little bit more under the radar about trying to get away with things. And so he was a senior, and he was going to go out to um, Enchanted Rock with some friends to go camping, right? And very independent, you know, model student, good kid. My parents blessed it. And so my mom gets this phone call from her brother who had a lake house down the, the way from ours, um, that there's been this raging wild party at his lake house over the you know, same weekend that my brother's been out of town. And the neighbors saw my brother and the police were called and all this kind of stuff and the house was a disaster and the alcohol was consumed and anyway. So my brother comes home on Sunday from this camping trip and my parents are out in the hot tub just sitting there, right? And my brother comes in the backyard and I'm out there too just like, wait I'm like, how are they going to handle this? And so, right? And I'm just waiting, coming back around. And so they said, how was your camping trip? And he goes, oh, it was great. He was like, so-and-so went, but then she like tripped on the trail. I mean, just like spinning this web of awful lies, right? And then as my parents are just sitting there very neutrally, not reacting, he pauses and he goes, why are you asking? And my mother so skillfully goes, this is how it's going to go. We know about the party. We know about the alcohol. We know about the police being called. And so you have until 6 p.m. this evening to come up with your consequence. Otherwise, our consequence for you is when you go off to UT next year, you will not have a car. When you go off to UT next year, you will not live in an apartment. You will live in a dorm. So we'll see you at 6. He didn't come downstairs. So... His car was sold after he graduated from high school. He lived in a dorm for the first two years of college. Hardcore, right? But the reason I love this story, and I tell it a lot, my poor brother, he wasn't ready for the freedom, but it was also, they told him what would happen. And there was lots of power in coming downstairs and being like, I totally screwed up. Here's how I'm going to own it. And he didn't own it. And that's what you guys jumped on. Well, and then... Here's the part that you wish you'd known, you know. And and by the way, he's editor of the newspaper. He's a national merit scholar. I mean, he's having a good life. You know what I mean? He, and so I, I, there was no need to mistrust him until until then. Um, so you know, he comes. We don't see him. He's at UT. So and our agreement is, you're off at college. We won't see you 
until, you know, fall, when parents' weekend kind of, in that ballpark. It, and he doesn't have a car anymore, you know. So <laughs> we had lunch, but, you know, he didn't come home. And I wanted, because otherwise, how do you invest in the new life if you're not really invested in the new life? And so, um, so finally, Labor Day, he comes home, and we're having breakfast one morning, and he looks at me and says, Mom, that was really a good call. He said, when we had that party, we didn't really intend to have a party. It was just you know, me and my two best buds. And I, I'd seen Uncle Billy put the key under the rock, you know, by the back door. And so it was just going to be the, the three of us. At the, but the word got out. And all these kids showed up. You know, kids he barely, he didn't hang with them. And, and you know, everybody knew them because it was like so small school. It's not a small school, but you know everybody. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of hilarity going on, and uh, you know, I don't know what all happened. He said that they were in the water; they could have drowned. I mean, he's panicked about this whole thing. And I said, "Why didn't you say that?" You know, when we were talking about consequences, why didn't you say all this stuff? And he said, "He said I didn't know how to say it. I, I, I was so horrified that I'd let you guys down. And I was so horrified that they could have died, Mom." <laughs> These are kids that are hard on themselves, but every so often you really kind of need. So he said, I, I, I needed the structure. I was kind of out there, you know, and he was out there with a lot of freedom because he'd earned it, really, but at some point it may have been too much. He didn't know it, but then he knew it. And so that was, thanks for letting me know. I'm glad it worked out that well that you then learned that you needed more structure than that. You knew that you weren't ready to live in an apartment because, you know, it could have gone the wrong way like the lake house kind of deal did. So his daughter's now a senior. This was March of his senior year. It's January. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. <laughs> but sometimes the logical piece can be harder, you know, to kind of engineer. And I always tell parents, you know, basics versus privileges. You know, really, the basics that I provide for my kids, thankfully, is I can provide a roof over their head and food on the table and clothes on their back and a school to go to. And really, everything else is a privilege, right? Playdates are a privilege. Screens are definitely a privilege. Phones are definitely a privilege, right? And so if they have a hard time doing the basics, we can definitely go to loss of privileges, absolutely. Um, but it's it's if we can have the conversation with them well in advance so they know what to expect, they know what the plan is going to be if this behavior happens again, they're not surprised, right? And then we get to say, well, you know, the plan for this behavior was if it happened that, you know, here was the consequence for you. Write it down, by the way, right? Write down the consequences. So we have Lego breaks in our house because I have an almost seven-year-old that's insane with Legos, but he's intense and Legos are super frustrating after doing them for two hours. And so we have mandatory Lego breaks in our house. And so it was, you know, something goes wrong with the Legos, Riley starts screaming and, you know, yelling at people. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, take a break. And so once he's calm, I said, I think we need a plan around the Legos because you get super frustrated and then, like, we get fussed at and that's just not, that's not okay. And so he grew this great plan for the Lego breaks. You know, if he yells at anybody, it's an automatic, you know, 15-minute, you know, break from the Legos. He's going to set a timer. And then if it happens again, he loses the Legos for the rest of the day. I didn't write it down. And so last weekend when he lost his stuff over Legos, I said, oh, um, we need a Lego break. How many minutes were you supposed to take a break? And he was like, and so write it down. Um, because when we grow these consequences and these plans, we don't always have access to our faculties when emotion's going to take over. <laughs> I know we're going to get short on time here. You have a handout that kind of breaks these into component parts with some examples. But is there anybody that has, you know, a situation that you just really want to practice on a little bit? And can I just say, by the way, I always love it when parents are 
um, authentic with each other. We all know we don't have perfect houses. We, we all know that we're going to have the day that we say, I told you so, and it's going to feel real good, you know, for about you know, a second. And then later we're going to have to go back and say, I'm really sorry I said that, and there may be some consequences for our own self-management and self-control and stuff. My plan for next time is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that day Corolla Deville emerged, yeah. We had too much on the schedule. I didn't put gas in the car. It didn't go well. I'm frantic that they're not going to get there, but mostly I'm afraid I'm going to have to call. Yeah, I'm going to run out of gas and have to call the roadside assistance people. And So I'm just screaming at everybody. And later after I picked him up in the class, while they're in the class, I'm thinking, is this helpful? To, you know, these classes just make, I mean, it's making my life really wild. And, and so there was that component. Do I need to slow my life down a little bit, which I think is true of all of us in this culture. But secondly, can I just have a regular day that I put gas in the car kind of no matter what? And so when you see me at the Chevron, you know, on Fridays, that's my regular day. I, I don't care if I have almost a full tank. I'm putting gas in the car on Fridays because then I don't run. Because Corella DeVille came out. And I don't want to live like Corella DeVille ever again. They looked at me like I was crazy because, you know, kind of I was crazy. And so when we look at wanting our kids to be ready to go off to life, that they understand what happens when you don't pick up your room. I have a friend, a client that's a professor, and she said, you know, my freshman year of college, there had been thousands of uh, power struggles with her mom by picking up her room, and eventually she'd go to home, and her room would be all picked up. It was kind of magical. But she went off to college, and it was the second semester before I realized, oh, <laughs> my mom isn't here to pick up my room. So I guess I have to do it. It took her that long, you know. To, my friend Cliff didn't know about laundry, and so he just kept buying new underwear. And he said there was a mountain of dirty, so, you, know, uh, you know, in his room. No girls coming into his room. I'm sorry. I'm, no, it smells bad in there. So all these are things that are going to help them to be knowledgeable, successful. Anything you want to just chew on a little bit before we have to end? Hmm? Yeah, maybe. You want to? Okay. Anybody that feels desperate? <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yes. turned six, um, we, his growth spurt, right? So he'd totally fallen apart. And, and for him, he's a spirited kid, and so he talks in all caps all the time, which means he yells just naturally. And tone of voice and body language and all that kind of stuff, we really worked hard on with him. But it was so, I was so sick of having to be like, kind, kind, kind and calm, kind and calm, that I said to him, I was like, all right, we need to have a family meeting. So my husband and my and Riley and I sat down. And I said, all right, buddy, so what are the behaviors, now that you're six, the rules have changed, right? And what are the behaviors that don't work anymore? They don't work with friends, they don't work at home, they don't work at school. And so we got a big piece of poster board, divided it down the middle, and we brainstormed all the stuff that did not work, right? Words, phrases, and you know, he's been in kindergarten for about six months, so he says things like being disrespectful. And I was like, great word. What does that mean? I was like, what does it look like to be disrespectful? What does it sound like to be disrespectful? So make it as tangible as we possibly can. So we had this great big brainstorm of everything, um, including um, expletives. And, because um, I have a spirited child, and who doesn't miss much. So, um, 
Then the second part of the conversation is, all right, dude, so if you can't do and say all of this stuff, what can you do, right? What can you do instead? What do, what do you do if you get frustrated? Because hitting people is no longer going to work, right? What do you do? Um, you know, if you, if, talking about manners and things like that. So the second part was just brainstorming behaviors you can do. And then you put it on the wall. And then it's there. It's It's been over a year at this point. It's still hanging on our wall. It's been added to. It's been added to as new behaviors pop up. Or as you see behaviors in somebody else, that's really fun to do. Um, but it's been added to, and it's something that you can constantly go back and kind of refer to, right? So if, you know, he yesterday was chasing the dog with a stick, and I was like, stop. And I was like, dude, go check the chart. Is that a behavior that works? And he was like, no. And I'm like, what else can you do? And he's like, I can throw him a ball. And goes and gets a ball and does it. But it really is on the wall as kind of a reminder not only to us, but when you have older kids, they can also go back and it becomes that place where they can kind of refer to it and get other ideas too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. question about, you were talking about being on the boat, like if you don't put your sunscreen on, so you tell them ahead of time, well if you don't put your sunscreen on, you burn, you can't come on the boat. Because you're burned. Yeah. So it's kind of a threat, right? Kind of? It's the reality. If a threat would be more not related, or that you'd have to enforce, I didn't have to enforce the burn. The burn happened. Yeah. I just had to let her know. Here's the yeah. Here's the here's the truth about biology, especially when you're blonde and fair, and your mother's from Australia. You burn. Yeah. And and I hope they see it. Yes. And because because you mapped it out ahead. Yeah. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. If you if we spring it on them, then it's a punishment. They're not a party to They didn't set this up with you. What the heck are you talking about? I know it's going to lose that. If you, they didn't know. If we set up an advance, we would agree. This would be, you know, I want you to learn this. It's important in life. Um, I think this would be a natural consequence that you would want to understand. And then when it happens, we're just the ones that make it. This is the way the world works. I'm actually helping you learn a little, thousands of little teeny tiny bite-sized pieces. She came back the next summer and she had one of those sunscreen shirts, mm -hmm. right? She said, that that way if I get burned, I can still go on the boat next time, which was like, <laughs> great idea, right? I love that. She did a lot of research. I was, <laughs> was impressed. I, I want to go back to this question, then I see one more hand. For me, and I didn't grow up in this family because I'm not sure this stuff, my parents just didn't have access to this information. They did what they knew. But we get to design our family, right? The internet has changed everything. It's available. Most of it's pretty darn good. Um, who do we want to be as a family? Who are we as a family? I don't want to be Corella DeVille. And so then we're coaching ourselves, really, as much as, and I'm saying, I've said to my kids about a zillion times, okay, I'm not so good at this. I may need some help. And my, they are brilliant, because we've done this for many years now. Mom, have you eaten today? And truly, I'm like the worst. It's not like I don't know it. I just don't, you know, do it sometimes. And rather than be mad at me or thinking that I'm just a horrible human being, what is going on? This is so not who you designed yourself to be. This is just what's happening. So can I get you through this storm? Because it's, you know, it's pretty noticeable. And and so you've helped them. They're helping you. We all need all the help. I, you know, this isn't easy to do and pull off all the time. And so oftentimes, you know, my kids have coached me as much as I've coached them. It was helpful. <laughs> There's one more hand. Yeah, I had a question along the same lines of logical consequences. You know, when kids fight, siblings fight, you know, no one's right, no one's wrong, happens all day long. What's a logical 
We have brother breaks at my house, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, the expectations in our house are you're kind, you're respectful, you treat each other well. If you can't, I have two boys, if you can't speak to each other in a way that's kind, the logical consequence is you've kind of lost the privilege of each other until you can, right? And so, and I get to enforce brother breaks. They get to enforce brother breaks on each other. They hate brother breaks, by the way, right? No, you can talk So when I was learning this stuff, <laughs> when I was learning this stuff, and, and, and again, we were on tricycles, you know, for a while. I mean, it, it just takes practice and some getting used to. But Jenny was in probably second grade, brother was in sixth grade. And when they get bickery with each other, and they knew about treating people with respect and that we're choosing to be a family that treats people with respect and all those kind of things. But there they are and they're, they're fighting over the remote or, you know, it's really the dumbest stuff in life. It really is nothing of true life or death kind of proportions. You know, how do we help them learn to problem solve? Because that's one of those things that they're going to really be able to use, you know, out there in the world. And so in our living room, our house is one of those houses that you, you just walk past the living room to the rest of the house where you really live. <laughs> There it was. We had these two wing chairs. And I thought, you know, how do we help them learn to, like, sort, like, what is the problem? And what do we do about the problem? And who, what are the consequences if we don't do that? So they didn't know any of this stuff. Um, and, and I was still learning it, too. So that's, you know, we're all going to learn from this stuff. So we introduced the talk about chairs. And if it looks like there's a problem, then I will help you get here. And uh, we'll figure out what is the problem and then how, what kind of ideas, you know, can you come up with? Because if I'm not here, I want you to be able to problem solve. Um, and you can write them down, because otherwise, you know, at least I, I do. I, I forget them otherwise. Um, and then, if you can't quite solve the problem because you're too upset, well, let's take a break. Calm your brain down. Since overload is a very real thing. Makes us stop thinking. So go on ahead to your room. When you're calm, you know, we'll go back to the talking about chairs. And when you introduce a skill set like this, um, I think we have to be pretty dedicated to it. So for about a month, you know, we miss soccer games, uh, birthday parties. Um, because, you know, I, if you can't do it here in our house, how would I let you go to your friend's house to play if you can't problem solve? So, you know, they, I wasn't kidding and I was really going to teach the skill and, and I really, you know, they wanted to learn it and mostly they were pretty darn good at it. It, it puts us in a position as a parent saying that was really good problem solving. You said what the problem was. You guys came up with some ideas to think about how to solve it. It looks pretty soft to me. Because in the olden days we would have said, no, stop that. You know that? We would have done all the heavy lifting. Teachers would have said, I'm putting the truck up on the shelf and you can't have it for you know two minutes. I mean, how was the child involved in solving that problem? So this is why you see, and it's good practice, teachers get low. Looks like there's a problem, guys. And I know you're really effective problem solvers. We commit space in real estate, too. we got to talk it out binge, or talk it out table. I mean, it's important. So why don't you go hang out with each other and solve this problem and let me know what you decide and then we'll see if, you know how it's going to go I just need to be in the loop a little bit I don't have to run everything and so as kids get older they know the drill schools do this school wide it's very effective and, and, and then I'm just the one to check in okay so you think it's appropriate to solve this problem to do this and how are you feeling about this the first time we did this um, Jenny Jenny's brother is very observant but he's not a huge talker at least not when he's mad um, and so she decided she always got the remote on Thursdays he never got the remote on on Thursdays, and they came back and they said, "This is our plan." And I looked at and said, "Is this working for you?" All right, good start. Head on back. Chair is waiting for you. 
we, we missed a birthday party that day. And so, you know, if it, very efficient. And then you're just the, the cure. Do you guys need some time, you know, to talk it up? No, we got it. We're on it. And they, they were. And so you see this in schools, and this is why it's such solid practice. The teachers can solve problems in a nanosecond. Any age, really, all the way through high school, no problem. But how is that helping kids learn to think and learn to troubleshoot and learn to problem solve? And so with siblings, which, you know, I think siblings are really there as practice, you know. I mean, thank God for siblings, because if it doesn't work on a sibling, it's not working at school. It's not working at that friend's house. And so how do we want to be, you know, in our family as siblings. I have four brothers, and <clears throat> I was the only girl, and so I had some special privileges, but mostly my brothers were encouraged to be rough and tumble and, you know, boy thing, it was okay to, and they broke noses. I, I mean, there was blood everywhere one night. I, I'm sorry, because they broke a nose. Um, I went, I had gone, I was an adult by that time, I'd gone to visit, and I came back to my kids and I said, all right, I so don't want our family to live in a way that you can break somebody's nose and it would be okay. <laughs> I get it that boys may be rough and tumble, at least from my parents' definition, but that isn't happening here, right? We don't want to go around hurting each other and scaring each other. And so we're going to come up with some different strategies because that's never going to happen. We can set a clear boundary. It's never going to happen in our house. It never happened in our house. And, and mostly because we're just uh, back on the track. We're, we're, we're deviating from the path. And, and do you need some problem-solving time? Do you need some cool-off time? You know, what do you need? What, what's your behavior trying to tell me of a skill that you don't have and may need? And then we become just the interpreters. You know, this is the way life is. This is the, the way life works. I know it's time to say something. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in hearing additional podcasts, please visit the Eanes ISD Speaker Series or Westlake Healthy Students websites. Handouts and presentations are available online. Thank you.